0: Hey everyone, Adam here with the Shooter's Touch. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When Brian and I were trying to get this podcast off the ground, we had tons of questions. How do we record an episode? How do we get my show into all the apps like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, where all of our listeners can listen to it? How do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is actually pretty simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free, and it is honestly ridiculously easy to use. Now, Anchor can match you with your great sponsors who want to advertise your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast immediately. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now, by reading all of this stuff to you. So, when Brian and I started this podcast venture, one of our huge issues was... We both have families, multiple kids, day jobs, and multiple jobs sometimes. How are we going to get in the same spot at the same time to do this podcast on a regular basis? Anchor does that. No need to be in the same spot. It's essentially a phone call to one another, and you're recording a podcast. So if you always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, you need to go to anchor.fm backslash start. To join me and Shooter's Touch and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm backslash start. I can't wait to hear from you and to listen to your podcast. Shooters Touch fans, do we have an episode for you? We brought in Upper Iowa's head women's basketball coach, Nate Oakland, who has been all over the Midwest coaching, division one, division two, head coach, assistant coach you name it. So his experience is second to none. He brings in a lot of knowledge about coaching, has some tips for younger coaches, older coaches, maybe people that want to get into coaching, as well as how he fell in love with the game of basketball. We also ask him, put him in a hot seat a little bit and ask him some questions that uh, might be outside the realm of basketball and see if he prefers Jordan or LeBron. You don't want to miss this. Here's Nate Oakland.
1: Welcome back to the podcast, Shooter's Touch listeners. We appreciate having you on. We're excited tonight and the opportunity and wish that we have here to uh, speak with you guys all again and, and go over some things, uh, all things basketball. That's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to talk about. Um, how are things going with you, Adam? Hey, we're good
0: here. I uh, just want to remind all of our listeners, we, we've connected with so many of you uh, on, social, uh, on social media, our social channel, um, and don't forget to tell your friends and yourself to give us a follow here. At Shooters Touch IA, and then search for Shooters Touch on Facebook as well. So we uh, have a special guest tonight, Brian.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I am uh, looking forward to it. This is something that we've kind of been going round and round, throwing this idea around uh, quite a bit with. And so it's uh, without further ado, I'm excited uh, to have with us tonight uh, a good friend of the show, friend of the program, front of front of ours, father of five beautiful children, former Panther, former Knight, current Peacock, <laughs> and hoop junkie. Nate Oakland, Coach, yeah. good to have you on. Yeah, good.
2: Great. Uh, great to be here. I love what you guys are doing. It's exciting to uh, chat with you a little bit about some hoops.
1: Absolutely. So, so let's uh, let's kick it way back here, little Oaks out in the driveway, shooting some hoops. When did uh, when did you first fall in love with the game?
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, I can't really put a date on it. I think it's just something that's uh, always been been a part of my life. I grew up with one sister. Um, phenomenal individual, but she was, you know, she ended up being four foot 10. So I got all the height in my family, which isn't much. Um, and she didn't like sports, but we grew up in a, we grew up in a park behind our house. And I just remember being a young kid and spending a lot of time shooting hoops alone. Um, I had some cousins that lived on farms, uh, down your guys way, rural central Iowa. And whenever we'd get together, I always wanted to, to play sports and not tractors and trucks and all that. So I would try to get anybody and everybody to play hoops. So, um, yeah, some of my earliest memories are just being out shooting shooting baskets by myself with my little mini basketball.
0: Now, did you have a have a coach in your in your in your life here, Nate, or uh, was it just your love for the game and you just kind of kind of went after it at an early age?
2: Yeah, I didn't really. Um, you know, my, my dad played in high school um, there at Rolling Story, which I think he used to be just he was Story City when he was there. So. Um, you know, I think there's some competitive genes in the blood, and uh, we, yeah, I didn't really get into organized basketball until probably like seventh grade. Um, so it wasn't like somebody was coming here pushing me. It's just something I, I've always, uh, I've always loved.
1: Hey, talk talk a little bit about that. So you talked about organized basketball, and obviously, uh, you know, the three of us kind of came up uh, very similar as far as, you know, small town. You play with your neighbors. You play with kids in your grades. Obviously, that's changed quite a bit in the landscape of, of the way these AAU circuits and everything work. What do you, you know, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? And, you know, what what's your take on, on, on how basketball has evolved at the lower levels?
2: Man, we might need to record another – episode for that but uh no it's crazy I gotta I've got five like you mentioned um our middle child's in first grade and he's being asked to play already um so I don't know I think in some ways it's great I think in a lot of ways it's out of control um I think that you got a lot of parents who are investing a lot of time and money into uh, a potential college scholarship when you know the kids need to find what they're passionate about and what they love so I don't know I think you can I think you can look at it both ways, but, uh, I know I see a lot of players, a lot of families investing a lot of money at a young age when the truth of the matter is they might not even make their high school roster. Um, so I don't know, it's catch 22 in a way, but, uh, we're kind of holding off as long as we can with our kids and trying to let them get involved in as many different sports as possible. And, you know, my wife played at a pretty high level and, um, right now we think that's a good route. You know, we'll see what happens, but, um, Definitely not going to push it on people. Well, you know what I see a lot of. I see a lot of young kids be playing a, a lot, a lot of games and not practicing very much. Um, yeah. How
0: many? If you had to guess here, Nate, how, how many AAU teams would you say there are in the state of Iowa? Because, because oh, I mean, yeah. uh, with me and Brian, we we talk all the time that when we were in high school, there was two, maybe three actual AAU teams. Yeah. And then there was there was an all Iowa select team that went on every year. Right. So maybe maximum of or to five. Yeah. I mean, as you said, it almost seems like if somebody doesn't make their high school team, they can just wait around and get picked up by some AAU team, and and you know, and gets and get some tick there. But it, how many, how many would you would you take a guess on saying there are in the state of Iowa?
2: Man, you know, um, I, I I would hate to guess, but I'm thinking 20 off the top of my head. No. Um, no. And you know, you got a bunch of little locals, but they all go play big events, and they're trying to compete. And you know, I think for some of them. Yeah. I think for some of them they have the right intention, but I think, I think there's a few that are just trying to win games, um, and I just have a hard time with that personally. But, yeah, and honestly, a brief story. I won't name the high school coach, but a really good friend of mine is a very successful Iowa high school boys coach, mom, a couple state championships. Um, you know, I think he's in it for the right reasons. He had a, he had a parent confront him um, in, in one of the years they won state, and their child wasn't on the roster didn't get a varsity jersey, um, but they didn't understand that because he averaged 22 points a game in, su- in the summer league or the summer circuit with his AU team, you know? And not saying right. that, that he didn't, but who's he playing against, where are they playing? Um, yeah, so there's some definite challenges to that. Well, I think, too, with that,
1: you know, you mentioned it's 20, and that's just that's – you're referring to higher level, too. Um, when yeah. You're looking at some yeah. of those clubs. I mean, obviously, you get down here in our area, and, I mean – it seems like a new one opens every year just because just the sheer number of kids. And, and like we kind of talked about before, I mean, the expectations of of what's expected of these kids and the pressure that parents are putting on them, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, like you said, they're, they're almost asked to specialize at such a young age, which is, which is unfortunate. And, yeah. you know, I, I, obviously I know you and I have gone back and forth and text messages here and there as far as you talked about being in it for the right reasons and, and what some of these coaches at these lower levels are, are spending their time doing with these kids and these athletes. is just, just crazy.
2: Yeah, and it's not too hard to find what their motivation levels are, you know, and how much are they charging you to be on the team, I think is the first thing to look at. Um, I, know we, I know we wouldn't be able to afford to be on some of those teams, which is probably a good thing. Um but then you think, you know, like, you look at the European model. You know, Brian, we talked a little bit about this. You know, I think they've got it figured out in terms of youth development. You've got short kids, fat kids, tall kids, skinny kids, fast kids, slow kids, and they all develop in the same way. And you're all going to learn the same skill, and you're all going to get taught to play the game the right way. And they spend 40 practices for every game. And then depending on who develops and who grows and who falls in love with it is the ones who eventually rise to the top um and then with that on the coaching side if you can't teach your kids the right skill and get them to proficiency levels in passing and dribbling and catching and in shooting then you have to go down to the grade below and you got to learn how to do it at that level while your better coaches then get promoted so i think there's a lot of good things about what they're doing and it'd be neat to see you know second third fourth graders all playing Practicing the same way, learning the same skills, but I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a possibility in the state of youth basketball today. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that too,
0: Nate. When you when you mention that, you know they they have that many practices to games. Um, you know, you think about the AU circuit now nowadays. I mean, they're playing how many like thirty to forty games a summer. Yeah. And then and, and and then to take it maybe a month off and then start practice for their high school team or middle school team, whatever that is. Yep. So there's there's just no way to get that amount of practice in when you're playing that many games and it's it's it is kinda interesting to to process to say that I mean these kids are pretty much learning how to play basketball through playing games. Yeah. And if they're doing doing you know pat, you know if they're passing it wrong if they're shooting it wrong you know there's not time to there's not time to fix that because it's all in in a game time situation yeah
2: you know you're exactly right and i think you see and you said 30 40 i think that's a conservative guess um really you know especially the ncaa is is, is allowing more evaluation periods um may and june are growing so you got april may june july um you got four full months and you know, I, I know one team that I spoke with; they played sixty-four games. Um, Jesus, yeah, in that span. I mean, that's that's two full college or two full college seasons right there. You know, that's insane.
1: So we talked a little bit as far as about coaching and coaching um, and the importance, obviously, which it has in its development. Obviously, that's one of the biggest reasons. You know, we have you on and a little bit of your your coaching track record and where you've been and the experiences that you have. Um, but how how, how did it all of a sudden you know you talked about your love of the game, but how did you put together and say, hey, this is this is something I want to do for my career. This is something I want to do um, to support my family.
2: Yeah, hindsight being 2020, 20, 20, when I was in high school, I would I loved helping out with you know the little kid camps and even helped out with a little um, seventh grade team that was playing in locally. But um, you know I tried to play a little bit. Um, I was undersized. I was probably under talented underskilled, Um, you know, and I uh, I ended up probably making not the best decision in terms of which college to go to. But, you know, again, that was what needed to happen. I got to about age 20 and still had a passion for the game and didn't know, didn't know how to fuel that fire. And so um, went into my, uh, went into my then college advisor's office and told her I was switching majors and told her she asked what I was going to do and why. And I told her I was going to be a college basketball coach and she kind of laughed and said well you you can't do that um, so it's just kind of one of those stories uh, in a long line you know that kind of allowed me you know gave me a little chip on my shoulder um, to just kind of prove people wrong and then at the end of the day try to prove me right and I set some goals and changed advisors and met a great uh, great person at UNI who kind of got me on the right track and then introduced me to some great coaches at UNI at the time and Yeah, just try to work, uh, network, um, throw myself out there, be vulnerable and learn as much as I can. And so, um, yeah, you know, I think one of the beauties about this profession is it's non it's nonlinear. And so somebody can't tell you, well, you got to do A, B, C, D to get to X, Y, Z. Um, You just kind of get in where you fit in and you you put your feet on the ground and and hopefully stack a few days on top of each other where you're. Where you're getting after it and you're around some good people and yeah i'm just really fortunate you know I've, i have a lot of people that i owe a lot to um that yeah, has allowed me to feed my family and move to some great places and and get to live out my dream on a day-to-day basis and that's
0: that's great to hear too now you know you yeah you, you hear so many yeah you know, so many athletes or former athletes just say hey i went in i was i started to be a coach because that's that's really the only um, not necessarily option, you know, but that was the only only path path I saw myself because I love the game. But you know, it almost that almost makes it sound like it was the only thing they could do. You know, right. it it sounds like from from your aspect, it was what you wanted to do. And I mean, you know, looking through looking through your background, obviously, you and I were at you and I together. Yep, uh, and me uh, and your your career and you know following your career and now seeing you at a at a prior as as the head women's coach you know it's it's motivating um and it's and it's pretty awesome to see that and hearing that story putting that behind it that you really wanted it and you just went after it and you did it so that's yeah that's a pretty awesome story.
2: yeah i appreciate it man and it's uh, you know it's funny when you look back and there's certain moments that are kind of kind of turn the tide so to speak moments um you know, I started college as an art major and loved art, could paint, could draw, but I wasn't, you know, I was wearing shoes to class. I was showering. Um, I, w- I didn't really fit in, you know? Uh, and then, uh, and then when, yeah. X's and O's, huh? Yeah. And then, you know, I decided I wanted to coach. Well, what do you do? Your playing career is pretty much over. Um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a washed up has-been at age 20. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, you can you can only play so many uh, pickup games in the WRC before you realize that there's not much future there. Um, so I end up going into at the time you remember where the men's basketball offices were. They were up in the Uni Dome, and yep. I walked into Coach Mack and Coach Rudder was up there, and I said, "Hey, I need to I need to figure out how to do this." And they were very gracious and said, "Hey, we got seven seven seniors right now. We'd love to have you next year." Um, Coach Rudder said, "Hey, here's some notes. I want you to." come see me whenever you can. I mean, he's just the best. And yeah. he said, I, you should maybe go talk to Tony D like he's a great coach too. And, you know, I don't know what he's got going. I went down the hall and talked to Tony D and he said, Hey, I need you today. And that's it. You know, um, <laughs> the rest is history, as I say. So how long were you at UNI then? Um, so, you know, I got started as an undergrad, um, so I spent three years with the women's basketball program. Tony DiCecco was um, somebody who – sorry, there was a Jeep rolling by. I'm out on a walk. Um, um, so, yeah, he, he kind of took me under his wing, you know, and had a great staff and was really building that program. So I spent three years with them as, as an undergraduate manager. I kind of – I call myself a glorified assistant. He allowed me to, to do a lot of things to get my feet wet um, recruiting-wise, budget-wise. So when I graduated – he pretty much told me that I was going to go be the head uh, girls coach at Hudson high school, just down the road, you know, from you and I. So I ended up going down there for two years. And then I spent one year at a D three Minnesota and he hired me back and spent three years working for him. Um, One, it was his last year and then Tony Warren took over. So a total of six, it's a really long answer to a short question. Sorry. Um, But spent about six years uh, with the women's program in a nine year span.
1: And then transition um, to what?
2: Well, that's when my, you know, my <laughs> wife and I got married and started having kids. And then we had another kid and then we had another kid and then we had another kid. Um, and so it was like, okay, is this, you know, for a while you're young. Um, your ego is probably a little bigger than it should be. Um, you think you're a little smarter than you are. And I thought I was the next Bill Fenley. Um, somebody that I really look to still to this day and trust and hold, hold in a high regard. But, um, it was, we needed a plan B and that plan B came through a great friend of mine, Randy Peterson, now Randy Henderson. She was a, she just got named the head coach at Co. Um, I felt like I needed to get a master's degree. So I started full fledged working on my master's at UNI. Um, that's when I met you, Claude, you got, I needed to make some money. Yep. Uh, uh, <laughs> so start slanging some t-shirts at shields with you um, <laughs> so then you know and it was i was going to do that i commuted to co from cedar falls i was trying to finish grad school which wasn't my favorite thing to do but that was all with the intention of continuing to try to coach and where would that be and i thought a small school level would be a great thing for me and my family
1: and you know and that's obviously why i brought it up obviously twofold I and mean, one obviously yeah that's where uh, obviously you and i had met and we're able to, uh, not for long, but I know we, we did some training and did some stuff together and got you yeah. um, all, all set up and taken care of there at the good old uh, College <laughs> Square Mall there in Cedar Falls. But um, the thing I like most about the story is, it, it, you know, you kind of look at this profession and, and at the end of the day, um two things in which that you have to understand you know coming into the profession one is it's it's not easy and it obviously takes some sacrifices for you and your family and like you said your ego sometimes and um y- you know two it's, it- it's it's gonna sometimes you gotta sometimes you gotta step away to be able to step forward and you gotta make ends meet And like you said you had your family and you sacrificed and were able to, you know, do what you needed to be able to, to keep not only the dream going, but uh, obviously keep the family going as well. So I, lo- I love that part of the story.
2: Yeah, and, you know, at some you get to a point in your life where at some point you just got to figure out how to make it, you know. And um, I think luckily I had a supportive wife and she had a pretty good job. So we were able to take a risk and then it was, okay, like you got to put one foot ahead of the other. And, um, yeah, Shields, Shields was, was a good year for me. Um, you got to meet, you got to meet a lot of great people like Brian Claude. And then you also realize, uh, this isn't what you want to do for the rest of your life. And there are some people that are great and they work there and Shields is obviously a fantastic place to be, but, uh, that wasn't for me. So
0: what, uh, what would you say the number of shoes that Brian bought in that year that you were working with them?
2: Oh man, <laughs> it's at least, at least a hundred. Uh, <laughs> You know, he was always he was always in the back looking up which shields had just gotten which release out. Right. You know the, the scary thing though is he hasn't opened any of them. They're still all in the box. Like. We're sitting right. Half serious. Half, you know, when I heard, heard that, that's that true. <laughs> yeah, they're turning <laughs> yellow, but they're um, worth some they're worth gold, man. Some of those so, shoes are worth serious coins. Worth
0: having. <laughs> um <laughs> Well, Nate, I know obviously you know we talked about kind of your journey through the coaching ranks and now the year at Upper Iowa. Um, so talk to us a little bit about how your your coaching style or your coaching philosophy has changed over over the years, if at all, I guess.
2: Yeah, I'd say it's changed a lot. I think you, it's one of those, you know, I think the game, you guys study it, you know it, uh, the game has changed a lot. Um, it's changed a lot, especially in the last, I think, five to six years. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, so you try and stay on top of that. You try and stay up with the times in some of that respect. But I think that starting out, you know, Tony D was was very defensive-minded very um, control-what-you-can, which I think is the best way to win. Yep. Um, you know, and there's a lot of motion and a lot of pounded in. And I think as the game has evolved, um, I've had to change too. And I think that uh, I was really fortunate to be around um, – you know, Fred Hoiberg was was rolling at Iowa State, and I had a friend that went ended up working for him and then and then followed him to Chicago for a couple years. He's actually still there. But uh-huh. um, I was able to learn a lot about how the game's taught at that level and how they structure their terminology and how they put the right players in the right place. And then how you how can you get a, a fifth-year player and a freshman and a redshirt and a juco and a renegade that nobody wanted, and how can you get them to mesh together? And so – Um, through that, I think offensively is where my mind changed a lot in the last five to six years. Um, yeah. And honestly, at the end of the day, though, it's a really simple game. You got to guard people. You got to rebound. You got to take care of the ball and then you got to put your best players in a position to, to score. Um, and so it's, uh, it's always changing. It's always growing. You're always trying to learn. I'm always trying to read. I'm always trying to, you know, get my hands on the next video or the next clinic notes. Um, I was talking to Chris Foster two days ago about some things that they're trying to do. Where he's at, you know, you're always trying to you're always trying to grow. So I really yep. ap- I enjoy, I- enjoy that side of it. But um, Then you got to find what fits you and your team, and that's something I wasn't very good at uh, uh, when I was younger. Um, you can't do everything. So
0: yeah, and, and it's and it's good to hear you mention that. Uh, I mean, because just a, a you know a quick I guess kind of coach story about me is after after graduating after moving to moving to this area, of Des Moines. I volunteered for Waukee High School um, and uh, well yep. and I, I had been playing basketball for at that point probably 20 or 21 years of my life and at that point I realized I don't know how to teach younger kids how to play basketball yeah, <laughs> like it just right. it, it, it just didn't it just didn't click for me so that's de- uh, you know a definite skill to you know be Knowledgeable of the game is 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 one, but be able, like you said, to teach people that, and then on on top of that, to be able to mesh your team, yeah, to be able to play and be good at it. So you know, it's definitely a skill, and I I have the utmost respect any type of any any type of basketball coach that can do that for sure.
2: Yeah, and it's um, yeah, it's something you gotta you gotta pour into daily, you know, uh, especially there's a lot of distraction i think more so than when we were in college which really wasn't that long ago um how can you how can you kind of deflect and and try to deflate some of those distractions and get everybody on the same page and have a common goal and for sure um, it's a, it's a challenge everywhere you're everywhere you go
1: yeah you talked a little bit as far as evolving and fitting um fitting your team and i i know that uh obviously kind of being on this journey with you here for, for quite a few years, I've I've seen some of that evolution from um, obviously your time at Warburg and your time at Co and, and some of the things offensively in which that's, you know, you and I would talk about, and I know you were at one point heavy and big in the read and react, um, yeah. you know, and how, you know, as a coach, like you mentioned, we're always looking for the new and the best thing and, and, and how things develop and come along. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, we talked about with the lower levels, you're like, all right, here's the offense, here's what we're going to run. You know, but that's, you know, obviously not the way in which to be successful is you're not going to have every kid and every team be able to fit into your system. And so, you know, for for me and watching you evolve, and I know you mentioned Hoiberg, and we've obviously talked quite a bit about his offensive scheme. Um, You know, it's, it's fun to see that evolution, but what do you see then moving forward with the game? You know, you talked a little bit about it. I mean, is it obviously pick and roll basketball is just huge right now. Um, you know, what, what do you see moving forward as far as position or positionless basketball and, you know, maybe obviously touch a little bit on, on what you see going forward with your program too.
2: Well, it's a great question and that, you know, that'd be another great episode, I think, but uh, yeah, just I think whether it's positionless or, or there are positions and whether it's, there's a big person on the floor and a point guard, I think you, you hit on the head. You got to, You got to figure out what your team strengths are. Um, That's what we're really in the process at at Upper Iowa right now. We've had six practices, so we're a long ways away of really figuring out what everybody can do. Um, But then I think you got to be able to again put the put your best players in the best position to be the most effective and most efficient. Um, What is that? You know, and that's you know I think when you look at when you look at Hoiberg's teams, he always had a really good what a lot of people call a stretch four. You know, first he had a Royce White and he ended up with Niang and guys that could really pass it, guys that could facilitate, guys he could, you know, if you had a big, slower person on them, they'd space the floor. If if you had a mismatch and they could post up, you put them in the block. So, um, you know, and then everybody's trying to shoot it. Um, You know, when Beat was coming up, he was the only shooter. You know, he had a, he was a premium and and obviously made a career out of that. Yeah. And now, you know, my, you know, I got to. I got an almost 9-year-old and a 7-year-old and the first thing they want to do, the first thing they talk about, and they don't talk about dunks anymore. It's all how far away are you shooting it and who the best sure, players yeah. are and they're all shooters. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think that is continuing to evolve. I think though what I found um, both at Cohen and at Warburg is if you have if you have good players that want to play the best together and they can put their egos aside and they can all you know, jump on board with, we don't really care who scores the points. We don't really care who gets the credit. We don't care who's in the paper. Then you got a chance. Um, And then there's a little bit of luck, you know, you got to stay healthy. But at the end of the day, if you have teams that can do that and control what they can, um, then you're in for a pretty fun ride, you know?
1: Absolutely. I know that was one of the things that when you first took that job at Upper Iowa, you and I had that conversation we talked about just buying in and how buy-in is, you know, probably the most important thing, um, to a successful program, you know, especially, especially, you know, depending on where you're at, I mean, not all programs, you know, you have a little bit of an uphill battle where you're at and it's all about getting those kids to buy in and, 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 uh, you know, put the, put the success of the team in front of their own.
2: Well, I appreciate you being very nice. A little bit of a uphill (laughs) battle. Um, but that's what, you know, that's what excites me. Um, but no, I think you know. I think with all that being said, and you kind of touched on it, is you, to have that buy-in. They got to believe in you. And so, my first three or four months, now I'm in the fifth month, is trying to develop some relationships. You know, they're not going to care what I think, I know, until they think that I care about them. Um, we're going through a tough time with one of our players' fathers passing away this week. So there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. Just way more than basketball. And the other thing I learned from watching Coach Hoiberg is that. He developed a rapport with those guys, um, had a great relationship with those guys that they would go to war for him, you know. Um, so you got to be able to have a relationship and cultivate that to get some buy in. So that's that's our biggest hurdles, not hurdles. That's the biggest steps we're working on right now.
1: Well, and I've been around you long enough. I know that uh that's something that you definitely excel at and uh um we definitely look forward to that progression and uh and see how you and your program grows. You know, one thing here before we got a little game we like to to end with rapid fire that Adam will Adam will take you through, but before that kind of wrap up this coaching as a profession discussion that we have going. You know what you know, what do you say or what's kind of your advice to you know someone that's maybe in a similar position as you that's maybe looking to get into a grad assistant maybe you know a manager level at a, at a higher level that wants to eventually be a college coach what you know what do you tell them what advice what do you say and
2: and how should they proceed yeah I, I love talking about that and I love talking to younger coaches and I got three younger coaches with me that I've told them you know I can't wait to see where their career takes them and, and hopefully I can get them you know help them a little bit on that path but I think the, my two pieces of advice, one is, I mentioned it earlier, coaching is not linear. Um, you just got to gotta be where your feet are and you got to make the big time where you're at. Um, I don't care if that's seventh grade, junior high coach. I don't care if that's maybe you are with all the AU opportunities that we did talk about. One of the positives is you you can literally find a team to coach anywhere. Um, so find a place to, to get in and, and, and work and learn. Um, and then... My second piece of advice, and I wish somebody would have told me this when I was 20, um, but I learned it from my best friend, Nate Lenzer, is you can't put limits on yourself. Um, You know, I got a sports psych degree, and we talked a lot about goal setting and all those things, which I think are really good, but I think if you set some some goals too far out, um, you're going to limit yourself. And so don't limit yourself, Um, you know, we got a GA that's working with us right now, and I and he's got a passion for video and film. And I told him, this summer, if man, if he wanted to end up in the NBA, then that should be his dream, and he can do it. Um, so don't limit yourself and and have a vision for where you want to be, and then make a plan for how you're going to get there.
1: And and stay UC, not OC,
2: right? You stay UC. Don't get out, <laughs> don't get out, don't get out of control. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I probably needed that advice too when I was 20. That's probably on me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, i I I, didn't know what, I I didn't know what that meant until i met brian so that's that's
2: <laughs> to me too now <laughs> stay under control, not out, um, of control. <laughs> not out of control
0: right um well nate we appreciate your time here got a couple questions for you to end here um i'll ask the question and you tell me the first uh first thing you think of okay. deal
2: okay this could get crazy but yeah, <laughs> yeah <it was> fun. <laughs> uh,
0: favorite gym you've ever we'll say coached in
2: Man, I it's going to upset some people, but Hilton Coliseum is pretty sweet.
0: That that, that actually makes sense. Uh, Your favorite golf course?
2: Oh, gosh. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, can I give two answers or no? Sure. Okay. We'll we'll allow two. We'll make our own rules. Um, Yeah. You know, my favorite course is honestly Beaver Hills. It's up here in Cedar Falls. I love the place. But – Man, I played a couple of big time places uh, recently, and uh, Forest Creek Golf Club in, outside Piners, North Carolina, it might be the, my favorite place I've ever been on earth. So um, I got to go with that. Wow. I got to go with Forest That's Creek.
1: That's saying Golf something, man. Yeah,
2: and I had never heard of it. Six months ago, I'd never heard of it. Um, but through some people I met, through, through basketball, we were able to get on and. Uh, we didn't see Jordan or Oprah, even though they're members, but uh, we had a great day. Fantas- Might fantastic. Might have to take a trip place. up there. Yeah, do it. It's great. Awesome.
0: awesome. Uh, how about favorite basketball shoe?
2: Favorite basketball shoe? Yeah. Man, I'm a big, low-taxi guy. Jordan Low. What were they? 12s. 12s, Twelve. Yeah, yeah twelve. I had the originals um, when they brought the Lows out. I still have that pair to this day. Um, wow. Yeah, that, those are it.
1: That that might be Staggy's favorite shoe too. Is that like a redhead thing, or what's the deal with that?
2: Yeah, it's probably more hot, <laughs> probably more a hothead thing. Probably more a Op Pizza Ranch type thing. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, probably redhead thing too, I guess. But now that you say that, I don't know if I want that to be my favorite shoe.
0: Actually. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 can have a redo since you came. Oh.
2: Yeah, you know, you know, I a couple of Brooks' guys up at Upper Iowa. They just they. Uh, they started pulling out the foam posits. Um, Ooh. Yeah. And oh, I told one of them and they didn't believe me, but I had the original foam pos in my senior year of high school, and that was a big time shoe back in the day. So
0: I had a I had a definite love for the foam posits back in the day too. Yeah. Man. It
2: was just sick. You know, Penny Hardaway started wearing them and <laughs>
1: so yeah. Those, I mean, you know, those things were the real deal, except for the you you lose probably half your foot speed with carrying yeah. those things around.
2: I think that was yeah, but favorite. if
1: you don't have it in the first place,
2: yeah. I mean, so that, I. I think that's, I that's why, <laughs> why Beaten I couldn't guard anybody. Like, you were in the heavy, you are in the man,
1: in the, the foams, just trying to shoot from half court. You know.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I finally figured out why. Yeah. Thanks, Nate. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, hey, uh, last question. Probably our probably toughest question, maybe, but Harden or LeBron.
2: Harden or LeBron.
1: LeBron. Oh, man,
2: I mean, I got to choose like who's better or
1: just whatever yeah. comes out.
2: <laughs> oh man, man, that's uh. Can I uh? Can I just? What what do you what do you call it when you uh abstain? I want to abstain. Plead,
1: plead the fifth. Well,
2: I'll go with LeBron. I'll go there with LeBron go. today. Okay, but okay. uh, I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs>
1: how's that I'll, 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 well now hold on a minute you were <laughs> you were were you a pistons guy growing up or what where, no what was the, okay no no i wasn't so i did who's, not
2: like the pistons
1: who's your squad growing up then you weren't a well, bulls guy or what
2: i mean you had to watch the bulls because they were all that were on and obviously they were killing it but i i was born in sacramento so i've always been a king's guy okay. And yeah wow. and uh yeah, so born in Sacramento, last name's Oakland, so I got to cheer for the Kings, the A's, the Raiders, you know. Um, but, yeah, Kings guy. So when I was little, they were awful, but they had, you know, they had Mitch Richmond, and and oh, then yeah. and then they got really good as I was wrapping up high school and getting into college. Um, so now they're not any good. But, well, um, actually,
1: yeah. they're I don't know. They're, close. they're, they're getting they're close. close. They'll be fun to watch this year, too. They got a lot of young guys. They got a
2: yeah yeah I mean I love Buddy Heald I love De'Aaron Fox I think they got a chance so but perfect. I did love the Bulls I'm not going to tell you I didn't everybody loved the Bulls around here well, but, so. yeah I mean right. it's
1: you had to watch them I mean and obviously if you're if you're a basketball junkie I mean you you like the best so we get it yeah we get yep. it Yep. so but well perfect Nate hey again we uh we appreciate you coming on here with us uh like you said, we went through a lot of good stuff and, uh, you know, our, our plan on, on this end is to definitely try to try to get you on on a regular basis. And, you know, like I said, talk a little bit about what your squad's going on, but obviously we, we touched on a few nerves here, and uh, wish that I think we could, we could spend a, spend another episode, uh, diving in a little bit deeper and, and talking X's, O's and AU circuit and probably yeah. even some sneakers from time to time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it guys. It's a lot of fun. Again, I love what you're doing. Um, you know, even if we got to – I'll be down there, I know, for the state girls' tournament late February. So we could do live from AJ's karaoke night if we wanted to do that too.
1: Hey, I, I like the sound yeah, of that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, yeah, thanks again, guys. We well, appreciate for,
0: it. Of course, yeah, just, just, just to wrap up here too, uh, all of our listeners, if you uh, reach out to us, questions, comments about the episode, uh, catch us wherever you can find your podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast at. And we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks everybody for listening.